Well, I'd like to label my message this morning, the way God sees us. If I can talk from the subject of the way God sees us. I'm not sure if it's a surprise to any of you, but uh, I am an African-American male. Surprise. (laughs) As an African-American male, I get viewed different ways from various types of people. When I was in high school, I remember walking down the street in Philly, a police officer came out of nowhere, stopped his car and yelled, hey, what are you doing here? I turned back and said, I'm walking. He then got out of his car and started to follow me. And I wanted to run, but then I realized that this was a cop. And this may not turn out well. So I repeated, I'm walking to my destination. Perhaps he was having a bad day or something. I won't repeat to you everything that he said to me. But minutes later, I recall having these tight silver handcuffs wrapped around my wrists and thrown into a cop car, headed down to the precinct. I didn't do anything wrong, but to that officer, perhaps he viewed me a certain way. There was another time when I was earlier, early, when I was younger, uh, I was with my mom at this time, and couple of others, and we were in a car traveling from South, to South Carolina for a funeral. We were traveling from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we had taken route through Jackson, Mississippi. I recall us driving and being pulled over by the cops. Uh, they asked her her license and registration. They came back to the car and told us that we need to get out of the car and made us sit on the ground with our our hands under our butts (laughs) in the dark on the side of a dirty, hard road. They searched the car for at least about an hour, detouring our time to get to South Carolina. We didn't do anything wrong. We were just driving. But perhaps from those officers' perspective, they viewed us a certain way. There was another time back in 2011 when I had got married, and after dinner, wifey and I, we were returning a movie. Uh, Y'all remember Redbox? I know some of you may not know what that is, but it was uh, amazing for a short period of time. But we was getting a Redbox uh, movie, a returning Redbox movie, and it was at a Walgreens that was in Mesa, Arizona. The red box was inside the the Walgreens, right off of Mesa Drive and Brown Road. And we get to the Walgreens. I park the car. Police officer comes up. Celeste goes into the the, the Walgreens. He asks, what are you doing here? And uh, I'm familiar with that question, particularly from police officers. I told him, well, my wife is, you know, in the store. Uh, I'm parked waiting for her. He then asked me for my license and registration. I gave it to him. He took it and said, don't move. So I didn't move. Minutes later, a different cop comes, and he asks, what are you doing here? 
I told him. The same thing I told the other officer. He then asked, where did you get this car from? I told him, from the dealership. Then I asked, uh, is there a problem? Is there something going on? Uh, at this point, I'm terrified because law enforcement says, well, you matched the description and you look like a kidnapper. Now, RCC, I've been told a lot of things in my life. But this was the first time that I've ever heard anything like that. Uh, I assured the officer I was not a kidnapper. Long story short, I was able to go. They gave me my license registration back. And emphatically, they told me to go home. I said, I said yes, sir. Then after all that fiasco, my wife finally came out of the Walgreens and I told her what happened. Not sure what was going on with law enforcement that night, but perhaps from their perspective, they clearly viewed me a certain way. I bring those stories up from my life to share how some people have viewed me, how some people perceive me, and in a lot of ways, negatively. But you have your stories as well. And those stories and how people view you, they impact you and influence you in so many different ways, positively or, or, or negatively. But I'm here to say that none of those voices matter more than the one who made you. His voice should ring the loudest when it comes to how we view ourselves. And that is true. And since that is true, then that motivates us at how we care for ourselves in light of how God sees us, how God views us. So as a spiritual practice, we're going to explore the idea of self-care. I was talking with Amy, Amy earlier this week, uh, just so that we're on the same page. When I say self-care, I'm not really talking about the pampering yourself, all right? I'm talking more about how we think accurately about ourselves. And if we view ourselves accurately the way God sees us, then prayerfully, we will take care of ourselves, Psalm 139 gives us insight to how we should think about ourselves. Again, many of us have grown up with different people, different narratives, different stories, different stuff of how people uh, look at you. And some of, some of you have taken that on. And I want to go from the scriptures, from the Bible, and say, forget about those voices. What does God say about me? Amen? Simply put, Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So in verse 13, we see one that God formed us. Last week, Pastor V, he preached about Psalm 23, and he talked about how God is a personal God. Uh, I want to submit to you that this psalm is a very personal psalm. It's personal in the sense of all the different personal pronouns that are listed here. I'm not going to go and read every last personal pronoun here, but in your own time, you can do that. And you can see that it says things like, oh, Lord, you have searched me. You have known me. 
You discern my thoughts. You search out my path. You lay your hand upon me. You are acquainted with my ways. As King David is attributed with this psalm, it's important to understand that this piece of scripture is very personal. Psalm 139 is known as the crown of the, 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 the psalms. It's written like a prayer and a peti- pet- uh, like a petition to God. At the point of departure from this text, it's essential as we approach this psalm, one thing that we should know, or at least two things that we should know of what, about how it reveals God. Uh, by the way, when you come to the scriptures, one of the first questions that should be asked is, what does this reveal about God? Before it gets to us, before it gets to our community, before it gets to our, our, our children, we need to first and foremost say, what does this scripture say about who God is? And from Psalm 139, we see that God is omniscient, and we see that God is omnipresent. Omniscient, that's just a big word that basically means God knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knows all, and he sees all. The Reverend Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, by the way, we have a mural of him in our parking lot. He describes this psalm as the lack of privacy before God. The lack of privacy before God. Uh, Omniscience, God's all-knowing. Omnipresent means God's everywhere. And by the way, Gardner C. Taylor, he talks about and calls this psalm as well, not only the lack of privacy before God, but he calls this the everywhereness of God. Not sure if that's a word or anything like that, but it gets to the point of what it is. God is all-knowing, but God is everywhere. The lack of privacy before God. I'm not sure if you ever thought about that, but if you want to think about whatever your thoughts were when you came in, to the sanctuary. Think about all the thoughts, all the random thoughts that you had. The good thoughts, the bad thoughts. Think about all of those different thoughts. And you would probably say, man, I'm glad Pastor John doesn't know all the thoughts that I had. But the fact is, we can't do that with God. Because God knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to think. He knows what we're going to think 10 years from now. God has, he's all-knowing. And there's a lack of privacy before, before God. And I think it's just an interesting thing to think about. We can't hide from God. In fact, that's what our first parents tried to do in the Garden of Eden. They tried to hide from God. You can't hide from somebody who's everywhere. Verse 7 in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The everywhereness of God. But in verse 13, it emphasizes how God formed us. This is the same language that is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6, where it says, Do you thus repay Yahweh, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you, and established you? The same word created is used in this passage, and it means that God is the originator of our lives. He fashioned us. He, he shaped us. He, 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 he molded us. The text also says that he knitted us in our mother's 
womb or wove us together. This is the prenatal fashioning of our great God and King. By using this phrase, the psalmist has in mind that essentially he pictures himself as a beautiful piece of art that God personally crafted together. Years ago, I had the privilege of going on a ministry trip to to, to Rome, Italy. And um, while I was there, we did a couple different things. But one of the most memorable things that I remember is we went to go visit the Sistine Chapel. The Sistine Chapel was done by uh, the sculptor and painter and artist Michelangelo. And as I was there, I was standing in amazement looking at the ceilings, looking at all the different paintings and how beautiful the art was. I wish I could have taken pictures of it, but there was a security at the gate that says, no, you can't take any pictures here. In fact, they actually escorted somebody out that tried to. So if you ever go there, just so you know, you can't take pictures inside the Sistine Chapel. But as I was looking at the ceiling, looking at the the, the detail, looking at the nuances, looking at the different colors, the intricacies of that, what I saw was an ultimate and gifted craftsman, an artist like Michelangelo. Uh, In a more unique way, in a more different way, in a more glorious way, God that created us with all of our details, with all of our nuances, with all of our intricacies, What I want to say is God is the ultimate skilled and gifted craftsman. And he created all people in his image and in his likeness. And I think when God creates something so dope, so beautiful, so glorious, so awesome, in some ways we are the crown and glory of God's creation. But we are his craftsmen. We are his art that that we're called to be put on display. I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but some of you have been viewing yourselves in terrible ways, ways that don't reflect how God views you. And that affects the way that you actually care for yourself or the lack thereof. What I want to say is the way that you were created was not by accident. It wasn't it was an intentional crafting, a deliberate fashioning because you are a son and daughter of the most high God. You were designed by God and that matters of how you should care for yourself. You shouldn't think of yourself less than. You shouldn't think of yourself as ugly. You shouldn't think of yourself as as whatever the negative things that you view yourself as. You shouldn't think of yourself that way. You should think of yourself, I was formed by God. And that means something when we think about how do we want to care for ourselves. We matter because God formed us, but also, verses 14 and 15, God created us. He made us with a purpose. He made us with a purpose. King David says that he praises God because he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Another way of saying that is God made him set apart. 
So in essence, God's people are made set apart. Question may be asked for, but for what? Well, we are set apart for a purpose. Everyone in this room is created with a purpose, a God-given purpose. Now, some of that is very general in the sense that, well, yeah, we call it to glorify God. That's like a general way of saying that, yes, that's true. But there are also particulars, more specific ways in which God created us for a purpose. And that may take some discovering for you, but we all were created with a purpose. And if that is true, then that matters of how we care for ourselves so that we can be about the purpose and about the mission that God called us to be. It doesn't matter if you're a single mom with multiple kids. God created you with a purpose. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager and you're trying to make sense of life. God made you with a purpose. It doesn't matter if you lost your job or your business is in a drought right now. God created you with a purpose. It doesn't matter if you are divorced and your life is going crazy. God still created you with a purpose. It doesn't matter if you're a baby boomer. It doesn't matter if you're a part of the silent generation. I'm here to tell you from God's word that you were created with a purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that affects how you care for yourself. Amen? Don't believe the lie. So in the Garden of Eden, earlier in the book, uh, in the Bible, this weird serpent comes and tries to cast doubt on God's word. And sadly, Eve listens to this serpent. In some sense, we can say that she believed the lie. Don't believe the lie when people try to cast doubt on God's word and tell you that you are not who God created you to be. You can just ignore them. You don't have to listen. If you're on social media, you can block them. I love that block button. You don't have to listen to the narrative and the stories that people have told you. You can listen to God's word. Don't believe the lie. God formed us. God made us with a purpose. And in verse 16, God saw us. Verse 16 Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God sees our uninformed substance. He saw it way before we saw ourselves. God saw us. In the mind of God, we always had value dignity and worth because God viewed us in a certain way, a better way than we tend to look at ourselves. One commentator says it this way, uh, this is a powerful reminder of the value, value he sets on us, even as embryos, and of his planning are in from the beginning. Again, I'm not sure how often you guys think about that. But from God's word, we can see that if no one else sees you, God sees you. And his voice should ring the louder. 
in every circumstance. So what I want to do is just lay, lay a good foundation of how we should think rightly about ourselves. Hopefully I did that. Now I want to kind of get into the practical of like, okay, so what does this actually mean? In other words, what does self-care look like? And again, if we think rightly about ourselves, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, we are somebody, then that should affect the way that we take care of ourselves. Amen? So what does self-care look like? Before I go down this list here, um, this is not an exhaustive list. There's just some things. And I think that there's some people that are a little bit different in some ways. So some of these things may be applicable to you. Some of them may not be. I would think most of them are. But in some ways, I just want to say that everyone is different. So your self-care may look differently than other people's. We good on that? All right. So here are some examples. The treatment of self-care flows out of our deep knowledge of who God created us as. All right. So first thing, what does self-care look like? One, for many of us, therapy. Going to therapy, going to counseling, that is for a lot of us, a good first step to caring for ourselves. Amen, somebody. Some of y'all need to just go sit down and talk with somebody. And I mean that seriously. I know some of you guys' stories. Some of it is tragic. Some of it is hurtful. Some of it is painful. And many of you keep that all bottled up inside. And it's crushing you. Is eating away at you. I don't care how many books you read on psychology. I don't care how many books you read about counseling or therapy. Sometimes you need to just go sit down, sit your butt down on someone's couch and go talk to somebody. Somebody that's trusted, somebody that can help you, somebody that can, can, can make sense of your life and have you think differently about what you think. Therapy, counseling is something that I think is a good, practical thing for self-care. Amen? Go talk to somebody. If you need resources, come and talk to me. I know a couple of different good uh, therapists and counselors that also are followers of Jesus, amen, um, that I can point you into the right direction. Another way of self-care, what does this look like? I'm just going to say exercise. Now, some of us, like myself, we don't like to exercise, and I get it. But I got a good brother, his name is James Wobu, and he can give you some good exercise workouts and tips. He may charge you, though. But I just want to say, um, exercise, that's also part of self-care. If we remember who made us, we are, uh, you know, the temple of, of, of God, right? The Holy Spirit is indwelt inside of us. In some ways, we should take care of that temple. Amen. And that goes into, yes, working out, running. Uh, that goes into our diet and what we eat. I need help with that. Y'all can pray for me. Amen. Um, but exercise, working out, that is also a part of, of, of self-care. You follow me? Uh, another aspect, another thing that uh, what does self-care look like? Uh, I would say meditating on the word of God. We talked about this when we first started this series. Um, centering prayer, right? Lectio Divino, all these types of exercises. And really, all of the different practices that we talked about over this last eight weeks can all fit into the realm of self-care. 
Maybe it's from a spiritual perspective, but we tend to disconnect the physical from the spiritual. What I want to say is, let's look at this holistically. And I think when we do that, this idea of, of centering prayer, this idea of meditating on God's word, reading God's word, listening to God's word, that is also part of self-care. Remember, God created us. He made us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We should care and take care of, our, of ourselves in this way. Uh, another aspect to what does self-care look like, um, I put spending time with your children. Um, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I have a, a one-year-old, and when I come home from trying to save the world, <laughs> she uh, emphatically says, Dada, comes up and says, Dada. And dad, dad, and, and, and when, I, when I get home and I pick her up and I hold her, whatever was going on in the world that day really doesn't matter. Any text messages, any emails, whatever it is, I'm just with her. And I think there's a unique way, the way God created us, um, when we, uh, the physical touch aspect, when we are holding our loved ones, in, my, in this case, my, my daughter, I think there's a, a weird self-care that comes with it. So spending time, spending quality time with your, your kids, your, your families, um, I think that's good for our souls um, when it's the right thing. Amen. Uh, but I think it's good for our souls. So spending time with our, our, our kids. Uh, this is another thing. This is uh, I put here getting into nature. Now, I know some of you like to hike and you guys like to do all camping and that type of thing. Um, but there is something about God's creation. That we, when we're in nature, when we're seeing God's beautiful creation, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a self-care to that. Because we are appreciating the great master artist, which is God, that created everything. And it gets to a worshipful aspect for us. This is also part of self-care. Um, for those that like to travel, I like to travel, by the way. Um, traveling, this is also part of self-care. Um, sleep. Amen. Just getting a good night's sleep. Sometimes that's all the self-care you need. And I think that some of us, we tend to uh, deprive ourselves of sleep for whatever reason. And I just want to say that sometimes sleep is just part of self-care. Take a Sunday nap. It's all good. Here's another one. Investment in your personal development, investment in your per, invest in your personal development. What I mean by this is there are different types of people that are here, different um, skills that you have. You guys are in different industries, and it's something about whatever that is for you to invest to get your craft better. If you are an artist, musical artist, there's aspects to you investing in yourself to get better. If you're a preacher, if you're a chef, if you are uh, a consultant, if you whatever it is that you, you do, uh, there are different ways that you can invest in yourself for your personal development, for your business development. And I think that's also a part of self-care. Again, how did God create us? Fearfully and wonderfully made. We are set apart for a particular purpose. And we have to take care of ourselves in such a way that helps us do that so that we can be on mission for God. The list can go on and on, on and on, on and on about 
some examples of self-care, but a good question that I would ask you, and then uh, how you answer this will put you in the right direction, I would say, in terms of what does self-care look like for you, okay? Because again, maybe all these different things may not fit everybody, but here's a good question that you should answer for yourselves. What are the things that give you life? What are the things that give you life, that energize you, that you're passionate about, that you're convicted about? Whatever that is, whatever those things are, you're probably on a, how you answer that, uh, that probably is the right direction of what self-care can look like for you. Now, I can't answer that for you, but that's something that you should answer for yourself. What are the things that give you, give you life? And I would close by saying that the perfect, the person that is the perfect embodiment of caring for their self, and I would also add for others, is, of course, Jesus Christ. Because he cared for humanity by dying in our place as a substitute and by resurrecting from the grave, by conquering sin and death, by redeeming his people by his blood. And on the cross is where we see the, 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 the great care that God had for us. So through faith and through repentance and belief in Jesus, we too can be resurrected with him. We can be on his team because God indeed cared for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Amen. So this is the good news of, of Jesus. So as we close, what I want to say is all these different aspects of these, uh, these meeting with God all, uh, in the Psalms, all these different practices, all these different exercises that we have done, I don't want this to just simply be, oh, this was a great summer series, and that's it. Hopefully, you are taking these practices that we've talked about and actually incorporating them into your life so that you could be a better, healthier, and fuller, and flourishing person in Christ Jesus. And the church said, amen. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father God, we want to thank you for all these different sermons and all these different practices that we talked about over the last eight weeks. We pray that we can take these different spiritual practices so that we can be present with you, so that we can meet with you. And I pray that you could be able to help us in our time of need, in our times of trouble, in our times of trials, in our times of tribulation, so that we can continually to believe and trust in you. Also, I want to pray for anyone here specifically that um, is having a hard time believing in you, is having a hard time believing in your goodness because of the circumstances of their life. And I pray that you can reveal yourself to them in such a way that they can feel your presence and feel your power. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.